Well, good morning, Nelson Covenant Church. I am really thankful that Jeff has invited me here today um, to preach, and um, I haven't delivered a sermon with a Britney Spears mic before, so bear with me as I get used to that. You'll notice that I have on my best pastor in the Kootenays attire. I picked this shirt out on purpose. Um, Made me think of my husband and the shirts that he wears every Sunday while he stands in front of the church at Balfour. So I have been studying the book of James, praying that God would show me what it is that he has for me um, in the scripture these days. And he led me to James, and I thought it was a great place uh, to, to start with you as well. Um, I'm, I was going to begin today with an acknowledgement of how hard things have been in the recent past. And I realized that that sentiment or that rhetoric is getting old In short, I think we're tired of being tired. So how did we get here? No doubt you already know the answer to that question. A global pandemic will do the trick. We've endured months, in fact, nearly a year now of constant change, disruption, and separation from the things and the people that we love. These ever-changing rules and regulations keep us isolated, fearful, and maybe even lacking hope. Um, I certainly feel like a ship tossed about on the sea. Yes, there are moments of calm, sometimes of real joy and hope, but the longer that we're in this boat, the less I've enjoyed the journey. So where do we go from here? What does God say to us about this kind of trial? Well, like I mentioned, we have to look no further in the word of God than the book of James to see God's truth on the matter. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be right in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 18. And I'm not going to deep dive into the whole section because it is lengthy, but I am going to read it all so that you have the message in context. And I chose to read today from the message uh, translation of the Bible because I find it really accessible. So let's dive in. If you're ready, James chapter 1. He says, I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open to show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed not deficient in any way. Verse 5 through 8 says, If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the Master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. So when the down-and-outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers, its petals wilt, and before you know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment, everyone is looking on in admiration. It fades away to nothing. Verse 12 says, Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such 
persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. So don't let anyone under pressure give in to evil and say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and us only. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and it has a baby. That's sin. And sin grows up into adulthood and becomes a real killer. And finally, he finishes out verses 6 to 18. 16 to 18 say, So my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There's nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. That's a good word. Um, so I want to begin today by highlighting James's introduction. He says again in verse 1, I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus. I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello. Um, in the NIV version, it says greetings, but I love the hello there. James, the brother of Jesus, calls himself a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's showing his ongoing position in relation to his brother. He didn't announce his personal relationship to Jesus, but rather his permanent devotion to his master. Now, the statement shows us that he believed Jesus was God, and people would have known about their familial relationship, so this declaration would have definitely had some weight to it. In my Bible, the next section of the chapter is under the heading, Faith Under Pressure. So, I don't know about you, but I am definitely feeling like my faith has been under pressure this past year. All the ups and downs that living in a global pandemic bring. We've had changes to work, to our social life, and even to our faith life that have been persistent and unrelenting these past 11 months. So, let's see what does James have to say about that. I'm going to remind you, verses 2 through 4 say, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. Consider it a sheer gift. Some translations say, Count it all as joy. And this has me asking, wait a second, what? Count it all as joy when we're faced with adversity? When the challenges are coming faster than we can manage? All right, first let's acknowledge one little word in that section of text, when. James didn't say, consider it a sheer gift, friends, if tests and challenges come at you from all sides. He said, when. James knew that we would face adversity in life. It's almost as if he considers that living and trials go hand in hand without question. So why does he suggest that we count it all as joy? That we consider these trials a sheer gift? Because the outcome of the trials is patience. And friends, if you know me at all, you know that this is not a fruit of the spirit that my tree of life bears easily. Let's be honest. Maybe not at all. When my friends and family give a eulogy at my celebration of life, not a single one of them is going to say I was patient. But here we are 
in the book of James, hearing him encourage us to endure so that we might develop patience. Now, I'm going to get a little technical for a minute. Um, the Greek word used for patience here is hupomene. And if I was teaching a class right now, this would be the time when I said, say it with me, hupomene. So go ahead. At home, wherever you are, give it a try. Hupomene. This word for patience doesn't mean a passive waiting, but rather active endurance. And that gives me hope for myself. I am the worst at passive waiting, like the actual worst. But active endurance, well, that I can manage. The distinction is the difference between waiting in line at the grocery store, which is woefully long these days, and the quality that helps you finish a marathon. See what I mean? When I'm in line at the grocery store, I sigh like a child every 15 seconds. But last summer, I pushed myself to finish my first and only marathon. Thank goodness that facing trials produces this kind of patience. The cool thing about hupomene is that when you break it down further, you get an even better picture of exactly the kind of patience James is talking about. Hupo means under, and meno means to abide or remain. So we are literally being called to stay under this heavy load rather than try and escape it. In the NIV, it's translated to the word persevere. So are you starting to get a better picture? Our natural tendency when things get difficult or become painful is to turn and run in the other direction. I'm a naturally engaged and like, let's do it kind of person. I am realizing now though, after nearly a year of being under this pressure, that an escape sounds pretty darn good. And yet, here we are being called to remain. I wanna clarify just one other point um, from this group of verses that these trials aren't bringing about our faith, they're testing our faith or proving it. The point of the trials isn't to show God what we've already got, but rather that our faith would be evident to ourselves and to those around us. You can find a similar exhortation in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Listen to this. It says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, to have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, that perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The pattern of the words is very similar. Rejoice, you're suffering trials. And what's the point? To prove the genuineness of your faith. I love that God, in his infinite wisdom, gives us this rule for life in multiple places in the Bible. I'm not sure about you, but I often need to hear things more than once before they sink in. So let's look at verse 7 here in a little bit more depth, now that we see these two passages are fairly similar. So verse 7 says again, These have come, the trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, we've all heard the example of gold being refined before, probably in another sermon at this very church. But I'm going to do a quick recap as to what that process is like. So basically, the gold is melted down in a super hot fire, and when this happens, the impurities sort of float to the top, and then they can be removed. Um, after this process is done, the gold is more pure and therefore more valuable. 
And so this is just what it's like with your faith in God. If you believe in Jesus, you have faith, but there are impurities in it. There are elements of complaining, negativity, and anger. There are tendencies to trust money um, or your position or popularity alongside God. These dirty things, this is the dirt mingled with the gold of faith. And the impurities in our faith hinder our fullest experience of the goodness and greatness of God. So God designs to refine our faith with the fires of trial and distress. His aim is that our faith be more pure and genuine. That is, that we become more utterly dependent on him and not on, the, on things or other people for our joy. Right now, more than ever, we ought to be beacons of light in our community. Our faith is being tested, and we can't gather. The irony of the fact that we can dine in a restaurant on Baker Street and sit six feet away from strangers and yet not gather on Sunday and sit six feet away from our friends is not lost on me. It tests me. And what I hear God saying, friends, is this. Show them who you really are. One commentary I read said, the nature of patience that's mentioned in this text in James' words is is this. It's manifested in forbearance and kindness to those around us or to those on the internet. Now, I'm just going to say that again for some of you who need to hear that this morning. It's manifested in forbearance and kindness to those around us or to those online. Are you listening, church? Now is the time when we show the world what it means to be a Jesus follower. We were created for such a time as this. Our faith is being tested and we are being refined. With Christ at the helm and the Spirit of God literally indwelling our physical bodies, we can endure this heavy load and come out better for it on the other side. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. Just because we're enduring a trial doesn't necessarily mean we will grow in patience. If you enter the fire with determination that you will come out the same on the other side, you probably will. If you butt up against every aspect of this past year with complaining and a negative spirit, then what will be produced in you? Yeah, you guessed it. Bitterness, probably a healthy dose of discouragement, maybe a smattering of anger. Notice again that both James and Peter exhort us to consider the trial a gift, a joy, When we shift our earthly perspective, we reap a heavenly reward. I'm going to say that again. When we shift our earthly perspective, we reap a heavenly reward. I love the perspective I found on verse 4 from the English biblical commentator John Trapp. He said, um, and we're back to verse 4 in our James passage here. He said, patience must not be an inch shorter than the affliction. If the bridge reach but halfway over the brook, we shall have but ill-favored passage. It's the devil's desire to set us on a hurry. James 1, verse 4, bodes us to let the work of patience fully bloom. If we rush things, we risk building a bridge that doesn't get us where we need to go. So what if we don't know where the bridge is leading? How do we envision this trying time? And the question that I find myself asking these days, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, when we ask ourselves what we ought to be thinking about the trials that we're facing, um, James is pretty clear in verses 5 through 8. 
I'm going to read it for you again. It says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea and keeping all your options open. So when we enter a trying season, we're faced with the realization that we don't know at all. Um, I, I think of the phrase, we don't know what we don't know until we don't know it. Wisdom isn't just knowing something in your head, but putting it into application. And to get this wisdom, we simply need to ask God, pray and ask him for help. I'm wondering if you're anything like me. I readily turn to a book, um, an expert, a podcast when I need help. But I want my natural inclination to be to begin with prayer. Because the truth is that God loves to give wisdom generously. He loves to help us. And right here in this passage in James, we see him telling us exactly that. When we approach God asking for wisdom, let us not do it in a tone of worry or disbelief. Um, can you think of a time when you were out on the lake here or maybe on the ocean and a storm picked up? I know some of you with boats have experienced this before. Well, what did that feel like? Um, last summer, uh, two summers ago, pre-COVID, we went to Tofino and took um, our boys fishing on the ocean. We did this for hours, and that was a calm day. We had to take medication to keep ourselves from getting ill, just so that we could continue to have fun on the boat. Um, and like I said, that was on a calm day. When we approach God, not believing he is who he says, or that he will do what he promises, we are like a boat being tossed about on the waves. We're without rest, we're unstable, we're driven by the winds, and we're even capable of great destruction. So instead, let us approach God with specifics, stating exactly what we need, believing that God hears and desires to give good gifts to his children. I want to hear this same idea um, written by a different author uh, from the Bible, the Apostle Paul. Do you remember what I said earlier, that thing about um, needing to hear it more than once? Well, God's grace and mercy are shown to us even in that he chose to say the same thing in a slightly different way to us multiple times here in the New Testament. I'm getting the idea that he really wants us to get it. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 23. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then a few lines down in the text, Paul says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will richly be rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You can see how, again, Paul's words echo those of James. The context of the suffering is not the same. The first recipients of these words were not going through a global pandemic. No, it was something altogether different. And yet the words still hold true for us today. We are encouraged to persevere so that we can receive the reward promised, those good and perfect gifts God desires to give us. All right, let's look back at our James text now. Um, Verses 9 to 11. I love this version in the message, um, how we are called to cheer. It says, when the down and outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers. Its petals wilt, and before you know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment, everyone is looking on in admiration. It fades away to nothing. Now, this segment of verses is a reminder to us that trials will humble even the best of us, the richest of us, yes, all of us. These words remind us that when we put our trust in temporal things like money, our hope will fade away because riches do not last. So instead, let us put our trust in the one thing that will last, our good God. Verse 12 says, Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. So let's compare that to the NIV, which says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Does that NIV translation remind you of anything? Well, it's reminiscent of the language used by Christ in a Sermon on the Mount. It sounds like another beatitude. Blessed is, for you shall receive. James' words follow the pattern of his brothers. The promise of the blessing here is for the one who endures temptation. Remember, Hupomene, here we are again, being reminded to stay under this heavy load. We see that the purpose of the enduring is so that our faith will be proven. It's yet another reminder to us that trials and temptations give us the opportunity to show our faith as genuine and strong. Um, Charles Spurgeon wrote, There is a crown for me, that then I will gird up my loins and quicken my pace so the crown is so sure to those who run with patience. The reward is great here, and it all gets tied together with the gift of patience that bearing the load over time. James 1, 13 through 16 serves as, as a reminder that God himself does not tempt us. We may be allowed to endure these trials in order to have this time of proving of our faith. Think of that example of the purification of gold again. And yet, it is not God who tempts us. Spurgeon also reminds us that Satan tempts and God tries. Do not think that even though God had foreknowledge of this pandemic and that he has allowed it to happen, that this means it's his desire to tempt us away from himself. How could he? Jesus himself said in Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, then the house cannot stand. 
No, instead, it is Satan who uses the trial as temptation and our own sinful desires that pull us away from God. Verses 16 through 18 say, So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. I believe these words from James are a perfect ending for us today. My very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Stay close to God during this time of trial. Be a light, sowing goodness, and showing the world what it is to be faithful. Count this time as a gift so that our faith may be made evident to those around us. Know that every desirable and beneficial gift comes to us from heaven. These gifts come from God himself, patience and wisdom, life more full, and the love of the Father. This is our, ch- our chance to shine, church family. We are being refined and our faith is being proven. I pray that you will endure well, that your faith will radiate like the brightest of lights in these dark times, and that once this pandemic is over, you will rest in the good, good gifts of God. Amen.